Welcome back to the SBS Sports Talk Show presented by the Sports Business Society at UVA. I'm Michael Rockless along with my co-host Nick O'Connor. We are back after taking a week off. It is kind of the dead period of the sports year, I guess, but uh, we're going to come back and preview some NBA, talk about some of the other stuff that's going on. Make sure you listen to this at 1.5 times speed. Hit it. All right, it is uh, good to be back, and uh, Nick, anything you want to start us off with tonight? Yeah, I mean, I guess we can start off with, I guess, some of the more recent events. We can start off with a little NBA, talk about the All-Star game, uh, you know, talk about the different approach that they took this year. Um, You know, watching that, what do you think of it? So I caught the end of the game. Uh, I'm not, you know, not a huge All-Star game guy. It's uh, it's an exhibition, and, you know, yeah, it's cool to see some of these guys dunk and shoot threes, but... You know, I'm not gonna you know tie you know tie myself down and watch it, but no, I mean it was competitive. Yeah. Um, you Especially know, looking at the end of the game, there's some tenacity. There's some. I mean, they're going after loose balls, playing defense. It was right. You know, very different from the first couple quarters. You know, I mean, once it got close at the end, and you know, teams started trying. It was it was a great game. Yeah, I think LeBron wanted to win. You know, he won mm-hmm. MVP. Uh, he had that out there waiting for him, I, and I think it's kind of cool. You know that you see the teammates playing against each other. Obviously, with the draft format that they switched to this year, where you had LeBron and Steph Curry picking the teams. You know, you had Kevin Durant was the first pick uh, by LeBron, and he was playing against you know his teammates and Steph Curry. I, I just think that's kind of cool to see it out there. And you had LeBron and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving out there on the floor together. Just kind of unique combos that you know if you. Uh, held it down to East versus West, you know, you wouldn't see as some players like Kevin Durant or I think Kobe, LeBron, they've stayed in the same conference their whole career. So I kind of like seeing that mix and match. And uh, I think it overall made for a more exciting game and more exciting circumstance around the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously all these guys off the court are friends, but on the court, I mean, it really looked like they're scrapping and going at each other. Um, and I like that. That's what you want from an all-star game. I mean, we see that in baseball with the all-star game where you see that nasty, you see that competitiveness. Um, and you know, with football and NBA in the past, we really haven't seen that. So I like the different, um, you know, the shift in, in format with the NBA, just create something different. Um, I don't know if that was necessarily the picking that created this competitive atmosphere that I feel like we really haven't seen in, in past years for the NBA all-star game. Um, but it's just something different. And again, I think you, you pointed out, it was kind of just different players playing with each other. Um, that kind of made the game fun. Yeah. I, I would say maybe the the picking part maybe did have an effect on the competitiveness because it was different. Maybe players didn't as feel as much like an all-star game mm-hmm. for that reason, that it was just kind of weird, and they're like, maybe we should try this time around. And before we move on to more serious stuff about the NBA, the great news about the all-star game moving forward is it sounds like they're going to televise the draft starting yeah. next year. That's big time. See, I'm surprised by that because I, uh, a big function why they didn't televise it this year, I think, was a lot of the, you know, no one wants to get picked last, right, in right. the All-Star game and have that televised. Now, now, I will say the guys who got picked last this year, I believe the, it was Horford and Al uh, Horford and LaMarcus Aldridge, those are the guys that probably everyone expected <laughs> everyone to be picked yeah. last. Yeah, yeah. But even second to last, like, let's say Russell having to be picked. Oh, do you, do you, well, he's a starter, you, so I think he was, uh, I think he was LeBron's second starter pick. Second so he starter. picked KD and then Russ. You know, obviously there's a joke going around the you know Russell Westbrook was you know last pick but he took that really seriously I mean that was kind of a shot at his ego um and I think that's a shot at a lot of people's egos right no one wants to get picked second to last third to last everyone wants to be the first pick um especially with all these elite players so um I think it'll be interesting when they televise the events I'm, I'm surprised that they're going to go ahead and do with it um but it'll, it'll be interesting yeah I, I think it'll they'll turn it into a kind of a 
comedic thing. It'll, it'll be funny. They'll make it yeah. a good time. Um, it'll, it'll make money. That's what right. Yeah, for. exactly. <laughs> that that should have been uh, goal number one from from doing this format. Will, you have anything? I know you, you were pretty excited about them adding the uh, potentially televised in that draft. Yeah, I just think it'll be uh, interesting. I think it'll be fun to watch. I think if it's LeBron and Steph again, they both have pretty good sense of humor. Um, so I could just see it being, you know, interesting 30-minute, you know, a little bit of a comedy in there. Yeah, and that's a good point. You mentioned if it's LeBron and Steph again. I would very much expect it to be LeBron and Steph again um, mm-hmm. for maybe the next few years of the format if they I, keep it hey, that what way. what about KD? Steph's going to get more votes than KD. I See, I don't understand that. He's a more popular guy. It's but kind in of st- terms of just... It's also Steph's team. KD plays on Steph's team. Is that is that the is that like the oh, yeah, notion I mean, now? I mean, that, he plays that on that's Steph Curry. But who would you say the best player is? I think. Oh, KD's a better player. I think all around people would say. Yeah, that. yeah, so, but but KD's on Steph's team. Steph's kind of the if you think Warriors, if you're giving one vote to someone on the Warriors, like Steph, to me at least, is a guy. I mean, well, who would you vote for? I mean, to me, it's Steph. I, I mean, think I think KD is the better player, but I I think Steph's still going to get more votes, and yeah, I yeah. understand why. Yeah, because it's his team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we're going to continue with the uh, NBA right now. Obviously, the All-Star game, uh, a little bit beyond the midway point. The trade deadline just happened. Um, so we're just going to talk about some of the big things that we're looking forward to in the second half of the season. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll just, you know, kind of talk it out. So what's probably, if you had to give, you know, one thing or a couple of things that you think is going to be the big storyline from the second half of the season, what do you think that's going to be? Yeah, I think what's already been the big storyline is Cleveland Cavaliers and, you know, the acquisitions that they made at the trade deadline and how that's going to play uh, out in the second half of the season. Obviously, they've had some recent success, so we'll see if they can continue that. Um, and I think especially come playoff time, uh, it'll be really interesting because a lot of these guys really aren't playoff players, right? They're teams that... Uh, maybe other players, you know, that uh, have been on teams that haven't really been performing well, haven't had that playoff experience. So when these guys get to the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see how they perform. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the Cavaliers, uh, especially going into the All Star break, they won those two games against the Celtics, who they they destroyed, and mm-hmm. then they beat the Thunder, who they previously had gotten destroyed by um, only a couple weeks earlier before they made the move. So I think that is going to be a huge focal point. It looks like. It's only been two games, so it's it, no one wants to get too ahead of themselves. Uh, but it, it looks like they're going to be the team to beat in the East, kind of rise. They probably won't get the one seed, but they'll be the team to rise above when it comes playoff time. And if they look the part in the second half of the season, uh, they're definitely going to assume their role as you know the team to beat in the Eastern yeah. Conference. And this really has been such a dramatic shift because I think before that trade deadline, I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but I think uh, you know a larger percentage of people would say that Celtics were going to make the finals. Or the Raptors. Or the Raptors, even. You know, maybe the Wiz, you know, who knows, but (laughs) maybe not. Um, But I think, you know, after this trade deadline, the Coon Cavaliers have definitely solidified themselves as the favorites. Um, But again, for me, I think another interesting story will be when John Wall comes back for the Wizards um, to see how competitive they will be. I mean, they've been 7-3 and in their last 10 games. Um, They've been playing well without Wall. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when he comes back, um, how that'll shift the dynamic and see if they can make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, the big thing for the Wizards, and I do think that they're kind of a sneaky competitive team in the East. Like, I mean, they, they have, been, have the talent. They right. Have the talent. So two of the last three years, they've mm-hmm. been on the cusp of the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Three years ago, they lost to the Hawks when John Wall broke his wrist in that series. And then last year, of course, they pushed the Celtics. Both times they were the four seed against the one seed, pushed the Celtics to seven games. Um, So I think that they're certainly um, a team to watch out for if you don't necessarily believe in the Raptors or Celtics, which I think you could make a legitimate argument that the Wizards 
can compete on that level. You also have a really well-coached team in the Miami Heat. You have the Bucks with Giannis. So there are some interesting pieces in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, the wild card in the East is the Sixers. Everyone will be excited and happy to see them play in the playoffs mm-hmm. if they were to make it. Um, but what I'm really looking forward to is going to be this race between the Houston Rockets mm-hmm. and the Golden State Warriors. Second half of the season, I believe Houston is up by a half a game on them right now. Don't expect Houston to get the one seed. I think Golden State actually has the easiest schedule in the NBA in the second half, whereas Houston, I think, has a much more difficult schedule. But I think what people are really going to focus in on in the second half of the season is really trying to track and see, do the Rockets have that chance to overtake the Warriors? Yeah, and I think getting that one seed is going to play crucially important to them to get that home field advantage if they do make that Western Conference Finals. You know, obviously, I think the projected right now is Warriors versus Rockets. Um, I think that's what everyone's looking forward to. So if they were able to get that one seed, I think that home field advantage would play um, a big part in that series. Um, I think some other teams, though, that have the talent and that can very much compete with the Warriors and Rockets are the T-Wolves and Thunder for me. Um, Outside, I think, the Spurs. Um, But for me, the Spurs this year, I just don't think they really have the talent um, overall to compete with those teams. Um, But I've really liked watching the the T-Wolves play this year. I think they have the talent. They got the coaching. Um, If they can improve their defense a little bit, I think they can be a really, really uh, big threat. Yeah, you're T-Wolves, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the T-Wolves are a little bit too young for me. I don't mm-hmm. see them. I guess they're matched up right now. I, what seed are the T-Wolves? Uh, they well, four seed. Uh, four, that sounds right. Spurs three, and then maybe OKC's five. I, I don't necessarily love the T-Wolves to even win a playoff series. They do have Butler. What what do you have, Will? Yeah, so the Spurs are currently in third, Timberwolves in fourth, and Thunder in fifth. Okay, so the T-Wolves are like tied with the Spurs. So <sighs> I, I think... They could run up against, you know, Russell Westbrook and Paul George in the first round, and I that would be tough for them. Yeah. I, I do like um, OKC as well. I think the Robertson injury, uh, when he tore his patellar tendon um, a couple weeks ago, I think that could be crucial for them as they don't have that stop, that stop defender, um, you know, but... I think the Warriors might get a run for their money, but the real team to watch is obviously going to be the Rockets because they've matched up well against them this year. They've played well. And when Capella, Clint Capella, Chris Paul, and James Harden have all played, I believe the Rockets are like 29-1. and one. So yeah. it's staggering. That was really impressive. They've definitely figured out that team chemistry part. And I think that was a big question going into the season with Chris Paul coming. How is that dynamic between Harden and Paul going to work? They seem to be figuring it out. Uh, they obviously play really well together. Um, going back to your Thunder point, I think they're in that process still of figuring it out. I mean, they definitely looked out of um, out of source in the beginning of the season, um, and they've you know built on that, but they still haven't figured it out completely. Um, I mean, they have the talent level to compete um, in that Western Conference Finals and even make the finals, in my opinion. I mean, they do have that talent level. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see if they can kind of work together and, and, and kind of work off each other's strengths. Um, I think my big move, I think what the Thunder should do is just move Melo to the bench. I think that would be uh, really important for them because I don't think he just has that big impact you know, in the starting lineup. Yeah, I, I don't think they would ever do that. But I mean, you know, they they seem to have figured it out to a degree. And I think as the season goes on, it should only get better. Um, kind of, you know, giving the keys back to Russell Westbrook and say, hey, like, do your thing, and Paul George and Mel will figure it out around you, and that seemed to have worked for them as of late. So that's a team that you know could be a sneaky threat. A little bit disappointing that they didn't do that much at the deadline, um, but we'll see with them. Well, I think all in all, both Eastern and Western Conference Finals this year, or I'm sorry, uh, playoffs um, will be really competitive, and I think that's what you want as a you know NBA watcher. Um, it doesn't. It's not just the Cavaliers as the front runner, and no one else. You have competitive teams with the Celtics, 
Wizards, Raptors, and even Sixers and, uh, you know, Heat and Pacers, you know, they can perhaps, you know, play competitively. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the comp- uh, the playoffs at the earlier stages should be competitive, um, you know, even especially in the East. And then I think the East... Um, as throughout the playoffs could be competitive. And then obviously the Rockets Warriors is the matchup everyone's looking forward to. The big question is going to be, you know, if I were to ask you or anyone right now, what are the chances that the Warriors win the championship? It's very high still. That's that to me is an ultimate problem, yeah. but, but I don't know I mean, it's very high though. There are very high because for my me, opinion. I think if they make it out of the Western conference, final, as just whoever makes it out of the Western conference finals, I think for me it is the winner. Yeah. Um, I, I think Rockets and Warriors have just more talent than the Cavaliers or whoever makes it out of the Eastern conference. Um, but for me, I think the Rockets and Warriors are, are, are comparable. I, yeah. I don't think it's that big of a leap. I don't think the Warriors have this significant more chance to, to win the championship. Um, James Harden's a choke artist. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, and, and and Chris Paul's never had that you know playoff right. success in the past. Never so. been to the conference finals. No, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see when they get there if they can perform. And I think that's the big story. Yeah. All right. So we are going to stick with basketball. We are going to hit on the NBA for a hypothetical question. Uh, we're just going to talk about some of the recent college basketball news. Obviously, the big news this week was the NCAA decided to uphold the the uh, I don't know the sanctions on Louisville and they are indeed vacating the 2013 national championship that the Louisville Cardinals won. I believe they beat Michigan in that game. They were the number one overall seed. It was the year that Kevin Ware had his gruesome injury and they were able to come together. Um, that game was in the Elite Eight against Duke. They were able to come together and roll their way through and uh, win the tournament. Do you have any thoughts, you know, about this getting vacated? And I think this this punishment is separate from the issues that they're having with Adidas um, paying players that ultimately got Rick Pitino fired. But what were your thoughts on them vacating this title? Yeah, I think it's, it's a dramatic response, but I think it was a necessary response. And they wanted to send a message to all teams that this is unacceptable um, and this just can't be done. Any um, you know mischievous behavior, um, you know stuff that's going under the rug, things like that. Um, I remember... You know, there's a lot of reactions to when, you know, Miami got banned for a whole season. You know, things like that when these when the NCAA takes dramatic responses to when teams misbehave. Um, but I think it's really just to send a message that teams won't do this again. Yeah, I, I think the vacating of the title is like in name, like it's a it's a weird punishment, I think, because it's like mm-hmm. we, you know, we watched Louisville win that game. The players won that game on the court. Um, you know, they weren't cheating in in the game. You know, they weren't like. I don't know what what you can even do to cheat in basketball. They weren't using magnets to make their ball go through the through the net or through the rim. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, to me. It's like a funny sanction. It's like I don't think mo- I don't think people will look back. Uh, maybe besides Kentucky fans, but most people won't look back and recount like, oh, the 2013 title. It was uh, and you're saying, oh, it was no one because Louisville got a vacated. It's like yeah. you're gonna they remember. Still want it. You're gonna remember it. that Louisville won the game. So yeah. that was an interesting note, and that's still how the NCAA is uh, handling their punishments. And from a report we saw a couple weeks ago, we don't need to go too too deep into this, but they said about half the teams in the initial top 16 that the uh, selection committee t- uh, brought out mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks ago. They said about half those teams are going to be hit really hard with this FBI investigation, which is kind of scary for college basketball. But, you know, so that maybe this is like a relevant punishment and we'll see that a lot with some of these other teams. Yeah, no, I think it very much is scary, but I'm, I'm glad that this is coming out. I mean, I think people have had, you know, you know, predispositions that this might be happening in sports, you know, with the paying of players and, and the sponsorships and kind of it gets a little murky there. Um, and so I, I'm glad that this investigation was done. Um 
but yeah, it, it, it does tarnish, um, I would say, you know, some of these college basketball teams' uh, legacies. Yeah, well, we'll see what comes out with that. I'm sure when that story breaks, I heard, think they said around March Madness. Um, well, we'll definitely be talking about that because that's going to be some big news. Is there anything else going on in college basketball that we think or you think is particularly relevant? We know the uh, UVA Hoos, they're uh, holding on strong to that number one spot. Is there anything else uh, besides them? They've kind of not had that many big news uh, recently, so... Um, yeah, um, I'd say outside of UVA, I mean, some teams that have made perhaps, you know, severely underperformed from their original um, AP Top 25 rankings, I would say Kentucky and Oklahoma, um, you know, haven't really performed at that level. And it'll be interesting to see um, with these last games and with the um, conference tournaments, whether they can perform or not. Um, for me, for Kentucky, they just, they've looked just out of, you know, out, you know, out of pieces. They just don't really know what to do. They don't really have that chemistry there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Calipari can change that. Yeah, I know one thing is you do not want Kentucky to be an eight seed in your region. If you're one, <laughs> I, that's all I know. Yeah. I mean, I understand they're not, they don't probably have the talent that they've had in the past and they're, you know, they're not pieced together as well. You know, there's a bunch of young guys. Um, but Oklahoma, I mean, they, I don't think they started the season with high expectations, but they did launch all the way up to number four. They beat some good teams early on. Um, and then, you know, Big 12 is a pretty deep basketball conference. You're playing every team twice, and most of those teams are pretty solid, and it looks like they've just kind of keyed in on Trey Young, and the rest of the team at Oklahoma really just isn't up to par with him, and that's holding him back. He's not playing well as a result, and they're they're kind of in a rut right now, and you have to wonder with them. I know people talk about Oklahoma and Trey Young all the time. You have to wonder, are they even a tournament team? They've lost mm-hmm. like five or six games in a row. They're a couple games below 500 in their conference. Um, I think they're entering dangerous territory to not make the tournament, especially if they were to keep these losing ways up. Yeah, I think just because they're in a big conference that they will still end up making it, um, and just because they have that name recognition. Um, I think for me, what's interesting is that how much of an impact Trey Young um, has when he doesn't perform well. It really seems like it... Like the rest of the team can't perform when he doesn't yeah. do well, and I think that's just so much of a, just a usage rate function. Yeah. When him. you're a high usage point guard, I mean, think yeah. think Russell Westbrook, LeBron, yeah. any of those guys. That right. Are... When you take those guys off their teams, the rest of the team usually does really bad. And that's not saying that the rest of the team is really bad. That's just saying that the team revolves so much around that player when they are starting that when they're not in the lineup, that's just, just it gets out of sorts. Yeah, and I think in Oklahoma's case, the team just really isn't good. I mean, he was mm-hmm. definitely the catalyst that got them to where they were midway through the season, and now they've kind of fallen back to earth, and you know he's kind of settled down to he's not. And I think people definitely knew that that, that level of production was definitely not going to be sustainable. I mean, to be averaging 30 and 10 you know, yeah. throughout the season yeah. on those good of percentages that he was shooting at times. Yeah, not in that conference. Um, you know, it's just not, it's just not possible. Yeah. you know, as good a defense as that. Yeah, and I, now uh, we're going to transition into some baseball talk. There's some big free agent signings this past week, which is, you know, shocking to the baseball world. Been <laughs> probably the slowest offseason, um, at least in recent memory, and definitely since free agency really took on the role that it, that it has had. Um, so Eric Hosmer goes to the San Diego Padres, which is a big move. Obviously, he was one of the bigger free agents leaving Kansas City, uh, who I think was in the bidding till the end. Um, and then the bigger move with probably more implications is J.D. Martinez, the slugger who played for the Tigers and Diamondbacks last year, hit 45 home runs in about 120 games. He is signed with the Boston Red Sox and will be their DH moving forward. That's a big move to shake up some power in the American League. A huge move. I think the stat was that that was the most home runs in the fewest amount of games or in that amount of games played. Wouldn't or, surprise me. Was, I mean, I did some very quick math in my head and it was like he was on pace to almost hit or at least hit like 60 home runs. Yeah, which is just remarkable. So, I mean, to add that power slugger to your team, 
Um, it's just amazing. I, th I think the Red Sox already had so much potential outside of J.D. Martinez. They have, you know, some young, uh, young players that um, I think will just continue to grow. Um, and it's kind of looking like, you know, baseball is becoming just that, you know, the power teams are just getting all the players kind of like similar to like a Warriors Rock, um, a Warriors Cavaliers type dynamic. Yeah, baseball is entering into probably some pretty dangerous territory here where if you're a middle class team, you don't necessarily have those World Series aspirations. You're better off just bottoming out, but very similar to the NBA. I mean, you've seen mm -hmm. the Phillies do it. Um, currently, the Astros did it to success. They just won the World Series. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, you have all these middle-class teams that aren't going to go out and spend a ton of money on these free agents because, you know, what's the marginal benefit of doing so? It's just not that high. Um, so that's kind of the worry here where you see all the really good teams. Like, think, didn't even mention the Cubs signed you Darvish. That's already a really good team. Mm -hmm. They just brought on you Darvish. You know, there was talks about, you know, I think the Nationals could have gotten involved for some of these good players. You see, like, the Astros went out and made the big trade for Garrett Cole. You know, th you're not seeing teams in the middle make those moves to make them more competitive, you're seeing the teams that are already extremely competitive make those moves to potentially put them over the top, and I think that could be a reason why you're seeing a lot of these free agents kind of left out there without a team this late into the offseason. Yeah, no, I think you like you said, right? It's just it's not it's just not worth it for these you know bottom to middle teams to pay these players, um, especially if they don't have World Series aspirations. Um, I think what's a little scary is that, you know, when you have just these super dominant teams at the top and everyone else is kind of left, you know, fighting is that you don't really have that much success, at least from what I've seen in baseball, from like just redeveloping and just completely tanking, trying to redevelop your team. I feel like some teams have success, like the Astros, like you said, but there's a lot of teams that don't, like the Chicago White Sox. Well, the White Sox, it's not that they haven't had success. They're well, still in yeah, the process. Yeah, they're still in that process. They're right, still in that so process, you think, but, like, the Royals had yeah. bought them out for years, and they really didn't come out with a ton of superstar players. Like, Hosmer was probably mm -hmm. the best guy that they had drafted and brought up, and they made some good moves, like brought in Lorenzo Cain, who was a big signing to the Brewers um, a couple weeks ago. But, like, that was a team that had all these first-round picks, and it accumulated into, you know, the ability – um, to have put a really solid team around. So mm -hmm. I, I think in baseball, it's definitely a better, especially for the small market teams. Uh, like the Yankees never considered bottoming out. I don't think they ever dip below 500. And they've been able to slowly but surely remake themselves into a you know powerhouse in the American League. Um, so in baseball, it's kind of mixed results. You think like the Dodgers didn't bottom out. The Indians never really bottomed out, so to speak. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a mixed bag um, there. But I think it's a strategy that can work. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how the Phillies make out. you think there's out. a high success rate there or that it's, you know, that it's desirable for teams to do that? I think if you're bad enough for long enough, uh, think like the Pirates, the Royals, who I mentioned, the Astros... Like, I think you accumulate just enough opportunities at getting these guys young and having them perform when they're young that eventually you're going to break through, maybe not for a World Series like the Royals or Astros did, but like the Pirates still made the playoffs for a handful of years, mm -hmm. you know, off the backs of a bunch of very high picks. So I think it, it does work, especially when you're a small market team and otherwise you wouldn't have those opportunities. Um, so I would say that's a problem that baseball is going to need to address because if you're in that, you know, bottom third of the league, you're 20th, 21st out of 30, like you should not be trying to make a move to get better. You should really be trying to bottom out and have that race, you know, to last place mm -hmm. and, uh, and see what you can do for a couple years there, got the payroll and, yeah. and try and 
you know, reload and, you know, five, and essentially you have the years. dilemma, right, of tanking, right? And then you have games that aren't competitive because let's say teams just, you know, take or trade or take out players that should be staying because they want to bottom out and get those high draft picks. Yeah, yeah, you have that and you have a situation where you have all these free agents who, you know, should be getting more money based on their historical value, like Jake Arrieta is someone who's still out there. Mm-hmm. Like you have all these guys who are still out there um, or at least signing very late and that's like a huge problem for the Players Association. They have to, you know, cover their guys. It's not really exciting for teams you know is there collusion there I don't know what's going on um, for all these teams that have decided not to sign players this season or at least wait as long as they have so it's just an interesting thing to uh, to keep an eye on with with baseball mm-hmm. all right so now we are going to talk about our hypothetical question this week this one is a little bit more mainstream than some of the ones we've done in the past uh, Commissioner Adam Silver of the NBA had talked about it as recently as this week and it is what would be the effects of of the NBA eliminating conferences and doing playoff seating one through 16, best 16 records in the league. Those are the teams that make the playoffs. The best record plays the 16th best record and so on and so forth. You know, what would be the effects for starting in the regular season? How would they have to reconfigure that schedule? And then how would that affect the postseason? And, you know, I think this is a good debate, and I think it's something that we uh, are pretty likely to see moving forward. Yeah, I think we've, you know, we've heard about this debate right for the last 10, 15 years when we had this uh, shift from, I would say, even conferences to, you know, a little bit unbalanced um, to becoming even more unbalanced with Western Conference seeming to have um, you know, just a majority of the dominant teams um, in the league. And, you know, not even that, just the majority of the dominant players. Um, when you look at, like, the top 15 players every year, there's, like, t- you know, 12 from the, you know, Western Conference, you know, or something, you know, very um, overrepresentative. Um, so I think it's interesting. I think how that would change the regular season is that you maybe you would have to adapt, um, like, a soccer strategy in the sense that you just play, like, every team twice. Or something like that. So like, that's, but that's only 58 games. Like home or away. Again, you just right. reduce the But that's, yeah. that's a lot less games. I guess you can also... It'd be a lot maybe, less games, but you have to make up for it because they're traveling more and stuff like that, right? You're not just yeah. playing, you know, people... Yeah, you, you're, you're so. going to have to get games. I mean, but yeah. that that's like a minor thing is because you really do have to strike a balance of, you know, if, if I'm the Wizards and really like... Or if I'm any team and my competition isn't for seeding at least, isn't just the teams in my conference, like I got to play everyone evenly or else mm-hmm. you don't really get that much further when you say okay the west is still the best conference by far and all the teams in the west still play a very highly concentrated schedule of you know games against western conference teams like you do have to find that balance where you're basically not playing you know maybe you play you know the teams in your original conference three times versus two times i I don't know but that's something where it's like kind of you know you have to be you have to make that equitable. Yeah, I think the big negative effect, though, and I think which has always been a concern, is the traveling and that effect on injury. Um, you know, especially during playoff time when you're, you know, playing, um, you know, every two, three days. You know, if you're playing a Western Conference team and you have to travel that, you know, that often, that can definitely create a lot of problems. Um, so there'd have to be some way to address that, spacing out the games longer, um, some dynamic or some function of that um, would have to be done. I, for me, I... I'm a proponent of it because I think it just creates a more competitive playoffs. You're just taking the 16 best teams, right? It's not, oh, the East is so much easier this year, um, whatever it is. Um, you're just taking the 16 best teams. Um, and I just think you'll get some great first and second round matchups, which you sometimes don't get. Yeah, I, I think there's maybe one year, I don't know how recent it was, where you were getting like a 500 team or below 500, oh, below 500 team yeah. in the East <laughs> versus like teams in the upper 40 wins in the West not making it. And that's just like inherently it's not right Mm -hmm. um so that 
that solution, you know, you could, or at least you could make, you know, for a more equitable system in that right. And I do think, like you said, you get just much more interesting matchups. Like, think, you know, um, you think like the Timberwolves against the Bucks in round one. That would be something we'd be looking at midway through the season. Think about like the the Celtics against the Portland Trailblazers, four versus 13. Like, it's just very interesting. Like, I, I don't know. I think there's some really cool matchups that are waiting out there. And I think it's, you know, it's just something that will improve the competitiveness of the playoffs and serve as an interesting point. But yeah. of course, the problem is you come back, come back to this is, you know, the reason they don't do this is because of the travel. So if you're Boston, you have to play Portland. I mean, you're traveling across the country, you know, three times in the span of a couple of weeks. And that becomes, you know, that's a much more difficult thing to do than to fly from Boston to Florida, to fly from Boston, you know, to to um, Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's definitely the concern. I don't think they'll end up doing this just because they'll have too many. They'll have to make too many changes because of it. Right. I think because if they changed it to just top 16 teams, they would have to do something to the regular season schedule. Um, they'd have to do something with the traveling, spacing out the games. I think there'd just be too many changes that they'd have to make um, for them to implement this. Um, but again, I, I hope that there's you know a solution out there that they find that there's some way that they can do this. Um, because for me, I think it would increase viewership in terms of you know playoff games. Um, and and again, I think during the regular season, um, if you know teams were playing you know Western Conference teams just as much as they're playing Eastern Conference teams, um, I think you'd get more competitive games because the players would try harder. Um, because right, you're not just gunning for oh a three seed in the East. You're competing for you know you know top five seed overall. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I, I do. I would fight back on the sense that I I definitely think this is something that is going to happen, and probably sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are just ways. Like I think the big thing is you're going to have to cut down on that schedule in the regular season to allow for you know the the travel issues that you might come up that you might have to deal with um you know in these earlier rounds of the playoffs or just generally more throughout the playoffs so you can cut down and that also can help you you know make the schedules just more even across all the teams so you do that travel um you know you you think is as we get throughout time should become more efficient too so that's just another factor that could help um and i just think it's something that most nba fans i think are ready for i don't think people are going to be crying about the the history of the eastern conference or western conference playoffs um so i i think it's just something i, that, I think the fans are ready for it i don't think the nba is ready for it because i think like you said right they have to reduce the number of games in the regular season or something like that and that's losing money for the nba and they're not going to take a loss i think in money um especially with projected revenues going down um you know or with projected revenues or with revenues not living up to the projections um, I just don't think that the NBA would be willing to lose 20 games and 20 games worth of, of money from every team. I don't think it would be that much. I mean, I think you could cut the regular season down 10 games for every team. Now, that's still a lot of games that you're... That's a lot of money. That's a lot of games, a lot of money, but, I mean, in theory, you're getting a better product out on the court. I mean, their, their viewership is up right now, mm-hmm. generally, throughout the league, Um but, I, I mean, it's something to improve your league. I think they, they know. I think the players are going to push for this, and I think Adam Silver knows that 82 is too much. 82, it's been that way for a long time, um, and it's just kind of a number they settled on back in the day. And, and just the level at which, you know, these guys, compared to the – they just play – They're just it's a faster game, a lot more possessions. The wear and tear on the body is, is obvious, and I think it's something that they're going to knock down. And once they do that, it'll open the door for them to, to move to this format too. But I've never really heard of a, a company, you know, 
wanting, not wanting, but, you know, obliging to get a loss, right, in, in earnings. So I just don't think, I mean, unless there's some way that the NBA can make up for that loss that they would have during the regular season in some other event in some other format, I just don't think that they would take that big of a loss in, in the regular season for money. Well, I'll throw an idea out to you. Uh, it is not an original idea for me. It's uh, Bill Simmons' idea that he's talked about for years, and it's a very interesting idea, is you supplement the you supplement the loss in games by doing for the last two seeds, so fifteen and sixteen, you do a tournament for all the teams that are remaining, uh, Sweet Sixteen style. So there's sixteen teams left, um, and you do a tournament, single elimination, and you play those games. And the two teams that come out of that tournament ends up getting the playoff spots. <laughs> and you yeah. find ways to reward those teams so that they're not just going to be okay tanking. And I think there's a lot of positives to that. I don't want to go deep diving into that because we're running short on time here. But that would be a way where you where you increase excitement. So now you're tacking on in a 16-team tournament. You're tacking on, well, you'd only you'd have two winners, basically. So you'd have two eight-team tournaments. So you're tacking on 14 games. Um, yeah, but then one of the other 14 teams are just going to rest the whole time. Right, yeah, that's what you earn. So that's what you get. You get but, it, I mean, yeah. it'd be quick. It's it's two, eight. But then that's such a significant advantage for those no. other 14 teams versus the last two. Because yeah, you're playing so many more yeah, games. Yeah, but, but it's an eight-team tournament, so you may get, like, an extra four or five days of rest. I mean, that's significant, but also... Single game elimination? Yeah, you just do, so it's... There's eight... Yeah, but then that's a, and then you're asking, are you really getting the best teams out of that? Well, you'd be getting the teams that are the hottest. Think if you did yeah. this in football, you would have, like, the 49ers <laughs> would be the team. You know, in theory, like, think about Miami last year, who was terrible to start, but uh-huh. really heated up in the second half, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> think about them. They, you know, they could have been a team that, that got in, and, you know, instead of being held back. Or think about a team that had an injury all season long, um, and that you know limited their record, and then they get their guy back, and then you so you might actually see better teams getting in. Yeah, no, I think that's a very interesting idea. I think there's a lot of pros to that with not too many negatives, um, yeah. and that again would compensate for that loss. Yeah, if you think that's interesting, I would I would suggest you you take a look at some of Bill Simmons' ideas. He's got a little bit more. <laughs> this idea is a very thought out, and it works. And I think. I don't know. You see, he says that he might have Adam Silver's ear on this one. So, <laughs> so that hey, I don't know. He knows. He knows people. So, so maybe we'll uh, we'll see that one happen uh, in the future. All right, that will uh, do it for us this week. We will be back next week. And that's it.